We're in 1 Corinthians, uh, calling this series Selfie. But we're going to look at uh, connecting Christ, the church, and our culture with our lives as we connect it with uh, Corinthians. And we're going to read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 in just a moment. When I was growing up, um, I loved to watch cartoons. Of course, back then, we only had three channels. There was a fourth one, but it was always fuzzy at our house. Uh, sometimes we had rabbit ears. We didn't have cable. If, uh, if we could afford it, we had an antenna, but I loved watching cartoons. And what I dreaded was when dad wanted to watch the news. Nothing was more boring to me than some head talking. And, and yet today I follow the news. I, I watch one and record the other two. And I usually watch uh, three shows and I track things perhaps like you do if you have a smartphone or you're on the internet. Uh, do you follow the news? Do you track it in one way or another? Does it bother you? I was thinking how news even if we allow for misreporting, there's a window on what is happening in our world. And yet it's become something almost a form of entertainment. And I would argue that because we keep our, our alarm within a manageable compartment. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't cause us to scream, what's the world coming to? It, it, we're, we're so overwhelmed with what's going on in the world, and it's beyond our control. that it's almost a form of punishment to follow the news. But on the other hand, it's a great reminder, an important reminder, uh, that the world needs to change. The world is in great need, and it needs to change. And if you're in doubt about that, I would encourage you just as a, a thought experiment to track the news for one week. I, I will just one just one news outlet and just track the stories. Track the news, Associated Press or otherwise, and see what's going on. And I think you'll agree the world needs to change. We all want change. Who wants change? Everybody raises their hands. Who wants to change? 
And that's our dilemma. I was a freshman in college. This was back in the years uh, 69, 70, 71. I was very aware of what was going on, or I thought I was, in the world, very engaged, and it was my experience that we as young students could see what was wrong with the world. We could see the problems. We could see the injustices. And many of us took to the streets in in other ways. I know we opposed the Vietnam War. We opposed... uh, Corporations, corporation greed. We oppose things like people ruling ruthlessly and oppressively over other people. We carried signs. We were doing something. Today, I would, I would not say it was entirely futile did something in me to get up and do something. Our causes were justice, love, and peace. Does anybody oppose those things? But what I found, and you know my story perhaps, what I found is that what we were advocating, we ourselves were not doing. We could see the injustices on such a grand scale, but we didn't seem to see the injustices in the way we treated each other or the way we even treated the people that we wanted to change, that we saw so needed change. We couldn't see the injustices in the way we thought of our parents or even thought of ourselves. And there was no love and there was no peace God used that in my life to change me because I realized that I could not advocate something that was not happening in me, that was not true in me. And that desire for justice, love, and peace in my own life, it was a a trip of several months but it led me to Jesus Christ. In him I found the story of an authentic justice, a real love, and a strange peace. It was just a matter of coming to Jesus as we sometimes say, or it always tickles me when I hear someone say, you need a come to Jesus moment. 
I'm still coming to Jesus. We still need to come to Jesus. At that time, I turned away from a lot of things. I thought I was turning away from everything to Jesus. We call that repentance. But we need to keep doing that. It happens every time we come to Jesus, every time we turn to him. And we turn to him from a lot of things. But when we turn to him, there's justice, there's love, and there's peace. Paul said, as you received him, so live in him. I, just to illustrate how we need to keep coming to Jesus, uh, I do counseling. Uh, not every day, not every week, but I, I counsel others. It's kind of a form of uh, specialized discipleship. And when couples come, I use what I call a Jack and Jill form. And on the top half At the top of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, I have typed this question. You might imagine that you're looking at this form. And it will read, what changes would God make in me if he had his own way? And then at, at the bottom half or in the middle where you would fold the piece of paper is another question. And it asks the question, what changes would God make in, and there's a blank, where you put in the name of the the person you've come to counseling with. So, for example, if Shelly was there and I was there, it would say, when Shelly reads that top question, what changes would God make in me if he had his own way? And then at the middle of the page, it would say, what changes would God make in John if he had his own way? And I give that as homework, and I ask them to thoughtfully write things out in answer to those two questions. And then when they bring them in, it's so revealing. The kinds of changes that God, as they see it, would make in them, and then in, as in our case, me. But in counseling, what I do is I take the sheet of paper and I tear the bottom half off and I give them the top half back. Because the changes in a relationship, like the changes in a home, like the changes in a city, a county, a state, begin with me. Always begin with me. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. There are changes that need to be made, to be made. Let's read 1 Corinthians verses 1 through 10. This is going to be kind of an introduction this morning, so we'll just read the opening. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Now, by the way, this is, uh, this is a, about 54 AD, and Paul is in Ephesus. 
Paul visited Corinth on his first mission, on his, excuse me, his second missionary journey. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. When Paul came to Corinth, he went to the synagogue and began to talk and present Christ to the synagogue. And the leader of the synagogue, Crispus, came to Christ. And next to the synagogue was the house of uh, Titius Justus, Gaius Titius Justus. And when Paul was kicked out of the synagogue, uh, he took up teaching and spending time at uh, Gaius' house. But Paul was such an interference that the, the, the people of the synagogue, the Jewish people, brought Paul before Gallio. Uh, this was in 51-52 AD. We know that because Gallio uh, was the uh, provincial leader of that entire area of all of what we call today Greece. Uh, Corinth became the provincial seat uh, kind of like Sacramento is the capital of California. And we have these records. Gallio was the brother of Seneca, who was the tutor to Nero. He was a Stoic philosopher, and he was very much um, an aide to camp for Nero in his early reign. And he was, he was a good ruler in the beginning. Later, uh, Seneca, under necessity from Nero, took his own life. And then the rest of his family, and Gallio too. But that was later in 65. But um, here, at this time, Gallio is the magistrate who hears the case of Paul, and he throws it out because he just sees Paul as another Jew, as he was, and that was an internal problem. There was no threat to the religion as the Jews charged, because to the Romans, everybody could believe whatever they wanted. You could worship as many gods as you wanted. The Jews were protected because of their exclusive worship to the one God. Well, the one who brought that case was the Jewish leader who replaced Crispus, and his name was Sosthenes. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, Sosthenes is now in Ephesus with Paul, and he's a co-author of this letter. He's come to Christ. I love those stories. He who had Paul dragged into court is now himself in the court of Christ. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified Pay attention to that word, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon 
the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. There's an emphasis, he says, the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That's the past element. That in every way you were enriched in all speech and all knowledge, referring to gifts of the Spirit, even as the testimony, our testimony about Christ was confirmed among you through the evidence of those gifts of the Spirit. That's something that's happened in the past. Here's something that's currently true, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a future perspective. He goes on to say, God is faithful to whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then verse 10, and this is a significant verse in Corinthians, to appeal, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. You might not have noticed it, but Jesus is mentioned in every verse, in every sentence of the first 10 verses of, this, of what we call verses of this letter. Jesus is mentioned nine times. Lord is mentioned seven times. Christ, which is Greek for Messiah, Christ or Messiah is mentioned nine times, 25 times in what we segment or divide into verses, the first 10 verses. All they are now, Paul says, and all that they will be in this day and age and in the day and age of the Lord's appearing is real because of God's grace. That's what he's saying. Because when he mentions God's grace, that informs everything that follows of what we've just read. Three things I want you to note. In verse 2, he calls them sanctified and then calls them saints. Sanctified and saints refers to being exclusive, being separate unto the Lord, holy. The word saint means is a translation of Greek holy ones, saints. Verse 4, I want you to notice grace as I mentioned is what informs everything that follows and 
it is grace that if they fathom it, if they appreciate it, if they recognize it, if they own it, it is that grace which is the favor of God, the, the privilege of God that they have been given in Christ. It is that grace which will prompt them to love and show goodness and kindness to others. And then in verse 10, which we concluded with, he says that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. They are to be recognized by their unity. Where Jesus is Lord, holiness, unity, and love prevail. And although it looks good on the surface, it looks uh, sweet on the surface, there's a lot that goes in to these verses that Paul writes in his opening to the Corinthians. He's setting the table for these themes. But I want us to appreciate what happens when we come to Jesus, when we turn to Jesus. Just as I say there is justice, there is love, there is peace, there is holiness, there is love, there is unity. These things prevail. And this is what the world needs. This is what you and I need. And this is what the church is supposed to show the world. How's it doing? It needs to change. It's all over the social media. People talking about the problems with the church and how it needs to get fixed. Well, this is very relevant when we come to read this letter written to the Corinthians because they were suffering the same problems and issues. And there's the same one solution, come to Jesus. But don't wait for everybody else to change. Come to Jesus. Start right there. Let me share just a little about Corinth. Now, I realize this is a small map, but you know what I, I, I realized just this morning? I was putting this still together yesterday, but I realized that just this morning, I should have really cut a bunch of the ocean out. And maybe I should have lopped off that, but I wanted to give you some sense of orientation. This is where we are this morning, and this is where Corinth is. This is Greece. Here, let me give a, a little closer look. But now you kind of know where it is. There's Africa, right? The UK, the United Kingdom, there's Spain, right? There's Italy. There's Jerusalem. There's Saudi Arabia. You know, the, the king died. That's Iran. That's Iraq. That's where our troops have been. There's Afghanistan. Let's look a little, a little closer. Okay, here's Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Jerusalem. This is Turkey. There's Ephesus right there. I know my, f follow the bouncing beam. <laughs> it's right in there. There's Greece. 
There's Italy, Spain, and this is the Roman Empire. All this is under the Roman Empire. These are modern designations, but this shaded area is under Roman rule. One united Roman rule. Now let's look a little more closely. You can barely see it, but right here is a little arrow. You see that? There's Corinth. And see this little strip of white there? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm chuckling at my beam. I, I need a brace or something right there. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but let's move on. Here's Ephesus, Corinth, and this is the isthmus a little strip of land that Corinth controls. And it's this area that is a trade route. This is very important to understand. That little strip there, which is larger in this map, is a, just a little under four miles wide. And ships, cargo ships of that day, if they were too big, they would unload the ship and they would drag that. They had, it was called a dioclos. It was a, a ramp of sorts in which they would drag the cargo over the isthmus to the Bay of Corinth. Or vice versa. So if you were going to Rome, you were taking, coming from the east to Rome, you would go through Corinth. If you were coming from Rome to the east, you went through Corinth. To go around the bottom here was very precarious. It was regarded as dangerous. If you doubled it, they said, you were tempting fate. So they came through here. In fact, rulers... Nero, even being one, tried to cut through it. It's solid rock. Now there is a canal there, like the Panama Canal. But they didn't have the engineering ability. But even in the time of Paul, there were those who tried to cut through that, even before Nero. I mentioned that. This is Paul's second journey. Here's Athens, Corinth, Cancrea. At the end of chapter 18, Paul leaves Corinth and he goes, he's on his way to Jerusalem. It says to Syria because this is the province of Syria under the Romans. He travels to Ephesus. He takes Aquila and Priscilla. They stay there while Paul is then making his way here and making his third journey when, in which he comes back to Ephesus and stays there two years during that time Apollos came to Ephesus and then went to Corinth. You'll meet Apollos in the first chapter as well as in chapter 18 of Acts. And that gives you just a little bit of uh, background on Corinth there was a lot of, uh, here you, again you can see the, uh, it's a little darker than I imagined. Here's Corinth, and here's the Isthmus, and that's the way moving from this gulf 
to this gulf and back and forth. What's kind of interesting is uh, Corinth was destroyed by the Romans in 146 when they, in league with others, tried to oppose Rome. I can always remember the name of the general because his name was, well, you would probably pronounce it Mummius, Mamias. <clears throat> but it was then restored under Julius Caesar in 46 BC. That's just about 100 years before Paul is in Corinth. When it was destroyed, it was destroyed. Everything was raised and brought to the ground. When it was rebuilt, it was rebuilt as a Roman colony. That's important. This is a Greek city that is Roman. I guess you could say they had a Greek heart, but everything else looked Roman and very much was Roman, and that's important to understand. The Isthmian Games was very significant. It never ceased, but it returned to Corinth around A.D. 40, and Paul was there. They had the Isthmian Games in 49 and 51. I believe Paul visited Corinth in 50-51, and he was there for 18 months. He was there during the Isthmian Games at the time they had returned and were at their height. This would be like the Olympics. Can you imagine the world coming to your city? Of the great cities, there was Rome, there was Alexandria, there was Ephesus, and Corinth. Corinth is kind of, well, one writer said that Corinth was like New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas in one. Or if you think of uh, San Francisco during the, uh, the gold rush, because Corinth, when it was reestablished, it became a boom town. Not only because of the trade, in a sense it was a crossroads of trade and the world, as you've already seen when you think of shipping. But it was a city of great opportunity, and people came from all over. And cer certainly there was an upper class, but there was a real thick middle class and then a lower class. And when you say, I'm Corinthian, well, that refers to the citizens, which is more of a, an elite minority, certainly Roman citizens. The middle class freed sl slaves, but not citizens. Dwellers, but not citizens. The church is made of this whole complexion, upper class and underclass. And the issues that come to bear because of the culture because the people are steeped in their world, just like we are in ours. And they bring it into the church. And they bring their rights and their privileges. They bring it all into the church. And when you assert your rights, because you have the world, the culture, the city backing you up, I mean, they're all on your side. But what happens to those rights when we bring it into the church? Are our privileges and rights what's best for others when we're all to be a new people, a new society? Those are the issues that are confronted in Corinth. 
where Jesus is Lord, holiness, unity, and love prevail. Jesus' people, the church, are to be holy, united, and loving. I have more to say. I'll pick it up next week. But the world needs change. I look around, and I see need for change everywhere. I'll bet if you invited me to uh, spy on your life, I could probably present you with a list of change. But that's not the way the Lord wants us to operate. He says, you know what? If you want to influence change, come to me. Let me occupy you. Let my heart set the beat of your heart. Let my thoughts be your thoughts. Let my way of seeing others be the way you see others. Trust me. Trust me with those things that you're afraid to do because of what others will think. Trust me when I ask you to try things you've never tried before because you just don't see that kind of thing working out there in the world. That's not the way the world operates. So to do it your way creates real uneasiness in me. And Jesus says, trust me. Step out in faith. Let me show you what I can do. Let me show you how different it can be. And we say, little by little in our walk with him, I'm going to try it your way. Be gentle with me, Jesus. (laughs) This is scary, but I'm going to try it your way. I'm going to learn through this, and then we'll try it again. And incrementally, bit by bit, we really become changed. And it's by exclusiveness to him that we are called holy. It makes us a little strange in the eyes of the world because the way he leads us is different than the way the world goes. And you know what? When you put him first and I put him first, we just always find a way to figure it out. We always kind of have that right heart and attitude. We're we're just willing to kind of, it doesn't have to be my way all the way. And we work together. And there, there are others who look over and they see unity. They see oneness. Or as the apostle John said, when you walk in the light and I walk in the light, there is fellowship. And the blood of Jesus goes on cleansing us from all sin. Really, functionally, not just in some kind of academic, some kind of academic and spiritual way, but in a very real way, because it goes on changing us. And indeed, there is love that ability to 
set the interests of others ahead of ourselves. You're going to find in Corinthians an emphasis on these things that I just talked about. It'll look a little different sometimes the wording, but it'll keep saying, look at Jesus, turn to Jesus, come to Jesus, and remember these things. Holiness, be exclusive, put him first. And then there is unity that he's trying to create, and it happens through love. Will you stand with me? I don't know how the Lord might be speaking to you, how he might be leading you. These things don't happen always uh, in a single frame or snapshot. But if you'd like to start with what maybe the Lord and you are beginning to talk about with prayer after I pray for us, I'm going to be up here along with the pastoral staff, elders and their wives and If you'd like to pray with me or any one of them, we would like to pray with you about the way the Lord might be leading you in an area of your life. You can also come and pray to intercede for others. Really what we're doing when we're praying is we're coming to the Lord for ourselves or for others. Come as the Lord prompts you. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. He's the true revolutionary. He's the true model of great and beautiful humanity as you intended us to become. Thrill our hearts with the prospects of being like Jesus, Christ-like, truly human in the world in which we live, the world of great need and change. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, God bless you.